is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture and Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And good afternoon on this Tuesday, June the 6th. Welcome into the BearCast, Sikkim365.com, 365 Sports on YouTube. And we do appreciate you for joining us, uh, whether it's live or whether you're catching us on the backside, uh, pre-recorded, uh, catching up on all the news after work or on a long trip or whatever the case may be. However you're doing it, we uh, do appreciate it. Uh, Craig Smoke, joined as always by Grayson Grunhafer. We got Jack and Graham and... Uh, also, uh, Garrett uh, behind the scenes. As I, we got so many people now, I'm starting to to go blank on some names. But yeah, Garrett, of course, Garrett Ross behind the scenes as well. And uh, we've got some commitments and decommitments and some basketball news to talk about on this week's edition of the show. Um, but man, uh, first things first, Grayson. Here we are. It's uh, getting into the first week of June now. We're I mean, nearly a month to media days, uh, which is kind of crazy. And I just kind of periodically update sort of the, the countdown and the things that are sort of along the way to the season. But, I mean, we're getting close now. Like, it's not really that far away when you when you look up at it. Still a little bit of breathing room, but uh, get those summer vacations in because it's about to get real busy here pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, it's June, right? And that's what we're finding out immediately uh, on the recruiting trail as official visits are starting to come up here in the next few days uh, they got one starting this weekend so we're going to dive into that a little bit but yeah I mean it, it's going to be just one of those crazy months and we mentioned this last week I think when I got asked you know what's the expectation how many you know commits could Baylor get well last year they got 11 and based on the start to this year even though I know they lost one it, it seems like they could get quite a few more uh, this month as well so very intriguing lots of news lots of information for us to talk about um, but that's a good thing because sometimes during the summer we you know kind of run into to walls or ruts and we're not doing that today that's for sure yeah not today uh, we'll see how the news kind of trickles out over the next few weeks uh, you know obviously like I said month away from media days and then of course there will be other things along the way but this is a particularly busy episode just because there have been some happenings with the 2024 recruiting class a couple of commitments and a decommitment to get to so that's where we will start off this edition and uh, let's start off with the, the brand new freshly uh, I guess released commit uh, the graphic just going up uh, 57 minutes ago by my my uh, little clock here on Twitter Mason Dossett a flip for the Baylor Bears a athlete an athlete out of Ridgepoint High School for the class of 2024 also a track guy also a legacy uh, which Baylor's been very hit or miss on on that front, but uh, a Baylor legacy and a flip from Purdue. So getting one out of the Big Ten, uh, there's a lot to unpack there between being a legacy, being a flip, being a track guy as well. But uh, what can you tell us about Mason Dossett and uh, why he's the brand-new big addition to the 2024 class? Yeah, I mean, it's actually a little unfair because I literally just got off the phone with him maybe 25 minutes ago. So I got to get a little bit of insight into what happened here. But last week I posted on our, on our premium side that um, there was a secret visitor – that was committed elsewhere that was going to take his official visit this weekend. 
and I couldn't release the name, and so, you know, Mason asked me not to, so I just kind of waited on it, but little did I know, it wasn't just that he was taking a visit and that communication with Baylor had ramped up, he had committed at that point, so he committed last week, actually, um, to the Baylor staff, called Coach Pallage, um, because he's actually going to be playing safety at Baylor, uh, he was listed as an athlete, wide receiver uh, type, um, but as time progressed, he ended up uh, getting recruited to Baylor to play safety, and I mean, this was his dream, this was the offer that he wanted uh, during his recruitment, he got it early in the process, but as time progressed, it kind of seemed like Baylor had moved maybe in a different direction and that, you know, Mason came on a visit and then committed to Purdue a week later. So it seemed like things were just kind of pulling the two apart. Um, But as time progressed, Baylor started to recruit him more heavily. I think he got, uh, it seems like he got even more okay with playing defense uh, for Baylor as well at safety. And I think that's kind of what led to this. But it is big. I mean, you're flipping a guy from a Big Ten school to, Mason is a phenomenal athlete. His track times speak volumes. He's got a PR of 13.5 in the 110-meter hurdles. Uh, to put that in perspective, uh, RG3 won the state championship in high school with the 13.55. So uh, now RG3's PR was a 13.3, so obviously RG3's faster. But to compare him to an athlete like that, you kind of get a sense for how fast that really is. Um, and that's why Dossett is being you know recruited so heavily for that safety position for Baylor. And he's got a pretty good offer list as well. I mean, he's a good prospect. He's a guy who's a borderline four-star on our website. Um, he comes in right kind of neck and neck with Jaden Porter as far as the top recruit in the class at the moment uh, for us. Yeah, Purdue, uh, who he's committed to, obviously. You got Arizona, uh, Duke, Georgia Tech, Houston, Colorado State, uh, Memphis, Texas Tech, uh, Tulane, among uh, some others as well. So Mason Dossett, uh, Ridge Point High School, I was going to say wide receiver because that's where some have him listed, but safety, you're saying, mm-hmm. is where he'll get a look for Matt Pallage and that Baylor defense. Uh, so good deal there. Uh, that coming down this morning, and uh, as mentioned, uh, a legacy as well. So you got the, the family connection, and uh, that's always good to see because, as I said a few moments ago, that has been sort of hit or miss for, for them. I mean, DJ Lagway is probably the most recent big-time legacy. Obviously, big quarterback committed to Florida um, and – you know, that's it's one of those things where you just never know. It just kind of depends on probably the situation, the family as well, and whatever. Like, legacies are not layups and shouldn't be considered as such. But it is fun when you do get a guy, especially when you, you feel like they're going to be a pretty good addition. Yeah, and Nate Bennett. Also and Nate Bennett, yeah. So you got two in this class right now. Uh, if you don't know, uh, Mason's dad, Martin, played football uh, for Baylor 1997 to 2000. He also ran track at Baylor as well. So that's the connection there. And uh, they've been on campus a lot. Mason has been around the Baylor program a lot, loves the Baylor program. Uh, his quote to me was, Baylor's always been a dream school of mine since my dad played there. It was just a matter of time before it happened. Um, so he seemed to be kind of focused on Baylor even when he was committed uh, elsewhere. As far as on the field, this past year he had 46 receptions for 660 yards and four touchdowns as a junior while playing both ways, uh, offense and defense. And then as a sophomore, he told 560 yards and eight touchdowns on just 73 touches, again, while playing both ways. So really good prospect, a guy who I think fits perfectly in this class and really brings some speed and athleticism and juice to this 2024 class. All right, before we move on, I can't help. What is going on in this tell? What are they showing? Is this the the Baylor low light, low light reel or something like that yeah, on so, the TV? So Grace is preparing for 
uh, guests and recruits coming in on Saturday, so we have this on. So Dude, I walked he's in. Rolling. It's the TCU game from last year. Now they're showing Air Force bowl game highlights it's against John Baylor. Hawkins. Twenty minute Baylor games. We have watched the full season. Yeah, yeah we're definitely since I got here. <laughs> I mean, take like the two worst moments of the entire year, and just like they're just on the big screen, just back to back playing. Here's TCU loss and Air Force loss. I mean, good lord. That's what I was wondering. I was like, what is going on here? And it's on ESPN. It's like you, you missed miss, the good stuff. Yeah, you missed Kansas, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma. Yeah. Sadly. I mean, clearly, they were great. fun um, to watch. Yeah, saving the the worst for last for sure. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I needed some clarity on what was going on and why we had those low lights playing. Because um, yeah, that's uh, that was confusing. So all right, um, back to the good stuff. Mason Dossett, uh, commit number six, and there's been some fluctuation there. He's actually the second commit. Uh, they were at six and they were at five, and now they're back at six again because Mason Dossett committed. But to get to uh, six the first time around uh, was the commit earlier last week. And that one, uh, another close-to-home commit, not a legacy, but uh, an extension from the coaching staff and current offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes, uh, Graydon Grimes of China Spring High School, which is also just down the road uh, from where we are right now. Uh, he gave his pledge to the Bears last week. Uh, 6'5", 235-pounder and Weight probably fluctuates. I don't know what it is across all of the websites, but defensive lineman, tight end, um, seems like a guy who can be flexible uh, in what he does at the next level. Obviously comes from a very successful high school program that's won two straight state championships and uh, also is very good in baseball, and they're just kind of a, kind of the it school right now in this part of the, uh, the Central Texas area. Uh, so comes from some pedigree there, not only his father, but also the background with the, the team that he's on, and He's going to be heading to Baylor. So what do you make of Graydon Grimes uh, as uh, one of the latest commits for the 2024 class? Another really interesting and versatile prospect is what Graydon Grimes is. So he's, I have him listed at 6'6", 240. That was when I talked to him at the end of April when he visited. So he might weigh even more than that at this point. But he got told when he was on his last visit at Baylor that he can start off at tight end or defensive end. He can have the choice. Um, Matthew Pallage really wants him on the defensive line, uh, obviously, I think he would like to, or potentially he would like to play for his dad at the tight end position as well. So there's kind of that um, part of it. But Baylor is very fine with him playing either one uh, to start off his career at Baylor. I ultimately think that, you know, there's a lot of opinions here. I think right now I would side with him being a defensive end when it's all said and done. He's just going to get too big. I think he's going to have a big year this year because he hasn't really focused on the defensive line part of his game until the last couple years. So if you watch his film this year, he looks really raw, but you see flashes of him kind of getting it, starting to get it. And I think we're going to see more of that this year. So ultimately, I think that's where he ends up. I know Travis on our website sees him as an offensive lineman. Um, Obviously, Jeff Grimes knows the offensive line. Jeff Grimes knows the tight end position. So there's definitely a connection there on the offensive side of the ball uh, as well. But again, you don't find many 6'6", 240-pound guys who are as athletic as he is, 
who aren't recruited nationally in the state of Texas. And so that's why landing guys like this is massive for a program like Baylor. You got to be able to find guys like this because you don't find many of them throughout the state and throughout the nation, really, who are interested in Baylor. So he's a big-time pickup, one who I think is massively underrated. Um, And I think a lot of the offers didn't come for him because of his connection to Baylor. I know Iowa State and Kentucky were two that were trying to get him on visits, uh, but ultimately ended up with just offers from like North Texas, UTSA, Texas State uh, types like that. So Graydon Grimes uh, obviously won't need too much, uh, you know, teaching on where things are around campus probably or especially around the football facilities. I think he's probably uh, pretty familiar at this stage as uh, Jeff Grimes gets ready to enter what year number three uh, in Waco and uh, been a great addition. Uh, obviously everybody felt like last year was, was pretty rocky, but the offense – Sure seems like it's building to uh, have a nice bounce-back year, and uh, he'll have a big part in that. But then uh, down the line, now Graydon Grimes will be a part of what Baylor uh, has uh, to offer on the field and off the field as well. So two commits in the last week, including uh, one just this morning in Mason Dossett flipping over from Purdue. So that brings their class to six at the moment, and it was or could have been seven if not for a decommit this week, but that's also happened. But first, just the the list of the six commits. You got Jaden Porter, who kicked things off, the wide receiver athlete out of Lorena. Uh, so you got a couple of local guys between Graydon Grimes from China Spring and now uh, Jaden Porter from Lorena. But Graydon Grimes, obviously, as well. Mason Dossett that we mentioned. Brock Jackson, linebacker from Lubberton, uh, edge rusher, uh, I guess I should say. Uh, Colton Soraki, uh, offensive lineman from the Woodlands, and then quarterback Nate Bennett from uh, Oaks Christian out in California, although he's, he's been around. <laughs> it wasn't just a set-up shop originally in, in California. If you listen to his interview around his commit, it's been a long, strange ride to hear him tell it, but that is the class as it stands as of right now. Um, but as I mentioned, there was a decommit, and that's part of the, the deal. I, you know, I had a comment on this player just randomly on Twitter. It was just like, oh, yeah, not surprising. And I had somebody like, well, why? Why is it not concerning? Why is it not? It's just like, well, it's recruiting for one. I mean, like every year, what on average, there's probably four decommits. I mean, yeah. if you were to just probably average it out over time. So they were due, if anything, probably for one. Um, but it's just the second uh, one you had. Technically one way, way, way back with Aaron Hampton, but that seems like forever way ago back, because yeah. he was a 2024 guy that he committed so freaking early. So you don't even probably remember that most people. He was committed for like three weeks. And like three so seconds. Quick. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was easily forgettable. Uh, but here is the, the latest one and the one that, that you know will be uh, you know memorable for at least the foreseeable future because it's happened here recently, and that is Brandon Booker, the linebacker out of DeSoto. Uh, he decommits from... Baylor yesterday with a little message on social media and uh, he had an incredibly impressive offer list you're like all right where's he going to end up because there's Auburn and there's Arkansas and there's Colorado and there's uh, gosh who else here? LSU, uh, LSU yeah. Houston uh, A&M Michigan States uh, etc so he had a, a number of offers that were pretty big time and you think, okay, well, who's he going to flip to? Is this NIL, whatever? And then he flips, and it's to Stanford. So I immediately am like, all right, well, cool. Like, that's totally, you know, A-OK. I mean, who cares what I think anyways? But, you know, you did wonder, is this going to be an NIL type of a situation? 
it's not. It's Stanford, and I'm not going to begrudge anybody who decides to go to Stanford. So um, that's just one of my own personal rules. Uh, that's a pretty good degree to go and get, and it seems to me, it indicates to me that you have kind of your eyes on a bigger prize than just football. Uh, so I, I think it's a, it's always a cool move to, to see people make that kind of a choice, but obviously a blow to Baylor's class. Uh, so what do you think of the fact that Brandon Booker, who was their highest-rated pledge, uh, is now no longer a part of this 2024 class? Right, so he visited Stanford, and then that's where the flip happened. Um, he mentioned to me it was about like finding the best place for him, and so I do think this was a situation where academics uh, played a big role in it. I also think, you know, he really hadn't visited a ton of schools that had a culture that you could maybe call similar to Baylor as far as academically, I wouldn't say. And so Stanford coming in and offering after Baylor kind of led to this. And so, I mean, it's, so it's one of those things. So I'm going to talk about the the negatives first. I mean, this guy was a first team all state selection. He plays at DeSoto, a school that you would love to have connections with because obviously they play great football there. Um, He was a guy who was extremely productive, 137 tackles, nine and a half for loss, uh, 1.5 sacks. He forced five turnovers last year as DeSoto won the state championship. As a sophomore, he had 92 tackles in his first uh, season as a full-time starter. So this guy has been productive. He's been getting it done at the highest level uh, in the state of Texas, which makes him extremely appealing. To go along with that, a great offer list, which you want to see Baylor winning battles against programs that you mentioned uh, in the SEC and top schools in the ACC and the Big Ten as well. Um, So that's where the miss comes in. And that's where it's one of those things where it's kind of like, okay, this is a big loss for Baylor. But on the flip side, it's like, how many guys in the state of Texas are good linebackers? And to me, it's a lot. And to me, it's a position where you can find guys who can easily uh, plug and play a little bit, uh, at least easier than you can on the offense line or defensive line. They're just easier to find. Um, so for that reason, I'm not extremely bummed by it, but I do, uh, you know, I do understand people's concerns. And he was a guy who was highly rated by myself uh, as well as others. But I will say, you know, like Travis, who's on our website, he was not very high on Booker. So that gives you some context there that there is some separation on analysis about what he could have brought to the table but ultimately I think it's a big loss for a couple reasons the national perspective and things like that and he's just a good player so now Baylor's got to find someone to replace him and that's going to be the key right who do they replace him with yeah I mean they they thought highly enough of him to bring him in the class to begin with Mm -hmm. and so uh, I don't know I'll trust their evaluations on it and um, it's just a bummer yeah to see somebody clearly others thought pretty highly of him as well I mean it's you know, it's one thing. It's like a bunch of just no-name schools that are like, oh, no, we don't, we don't see it." And Baylor takes a flyer, but I don't know. It's a lot of schools getting confused watching film. Apparently, um, if he's not what what he's uh, seemingly cracked up to be, so that'll that'll play out over time, obviously. But in the you know in the short term, it is a blow to your class and it's a blow to your ranking and and those types of things. They dropped from what was it, whatever they were at, like. I don't even know. I wasn't paying that close attention, but I looked up after that decommit, and they were like 50 uh, mm-hmm. overall. So they, they had dropped pretty good amount because um, they were not at 50. If anything, they were like 35-ish probably yeah. before that. So that, that hit the class, and I'm not sure how much they climbed back up. And look, not trying to get everybody obsessed with year-long recruiting rankings because those things can be very, um, you know, uh, 
very off sometimes and just it's not something to stress yourself out over all the entire year-round process because you will go mad but uh we'll see where it, where it ends up and hopefully they gain a little bit of ground now with uh Mason Dossett being uh added today and that's obviously something that's a, a bigger deal over time and closer to signing day but yeah that's significant for the reasons that you mentioned and we'll see what they do now as far as uh, you know, going and pursuing another linebacker. Yep, and currently they are 50th uh, in the composite rankings, but that's with having Graydon Grimes as unranked, completely doesn't even have a 247 ranking. And then Nate Bennett, who I don't think has gotten the, oh, he committed to a Power 5 bump quite yet, um, which he will get in the near future. So things are coming together a little bit, slowly but surely, but as we mentioned, June was the month to circle, just like last year. So anyone freaking out about the class right now, you're kind of in the wrong place, in my opinion. Wait till the end of June, see where things are at after these official visits, which we know uh, Baylor prioritizes. Uh, yes, they do. So that's all starting to, to ramp up here. Two commits in, one commit uh, no longer. And that's where the class stands now at six as a result of all those moves and uh, that leads us to what now? What's uh, coming up as far as the you mentioned camps and evaluations and all these different things in the busy month of June. So now here we are. It's June 6th. We've talked now of the flurry the last few days. What uh, are you thinking? What are you looking at over these next three weeks or so? Well, the first official visit weekend is this weekend. Um, so it's coming up really quickly. You're going to have Nate Bennett on campus, the quarterback commit, and Mason Dossett, as I mentioned earlier. They will both be on campus this weekend. So you got two commits on this trip to go along with a lot of talent. There's a lot of talented guys who are visiting this upcoming weekend. Uh, two running backs in particular who are both four-star prospects in Lancaster's Kwan Lacey uh, and Benton, Arkansas running back Braylon Russell. Um, both these guys would be massive additions. Baylor, of course, looking to load up on the running back position. A.J. Stewart's first year recruiting this cycle to get two guys like this on campus pretty quickly uh, is key for them. There's a few other guys visiting as well. Um, I'm going to leave those on the premium side. Side, but it is a big weekend to start things off, and they will have official visits the next two weekends as well. So, like I said, this is just going to continue over the next couple weeks as we talk more and more about who's visiting, when are they visiting, implications for uh, the Baylor recruiting class, who's going to commit, trends, everything like that going forward. All right, so that's about covered on football, I think. Um uh, no, it's just kickoff times. We got some of those last week. Uh, learned about the first three games of the year, and uh, well, I mean, they're going to have to win to get more prime time spots. That's pretty much the deal. I mean, that's uh, what you can take a quick glance at because if you thought that maybe they'd have a big time kickoff in week number two against Utah, you were incorrect as far as, you know, prime time or anything like that. Uh, but do have a good spot on the ESPN network. But Texas State will be a 6 o'clock kickoff ESPN Plus week one, opening the season in Waco. Uh, back at home, week number two, 11 a.m., the kickoff time for Utah on main ESPN. So, yeah, I've, I've seen some of the gripes about 11 a.m. kickoffs, and I'm just not even going to address that really. Um, but they're on main ESPN. That'll be a big deal. And uh, that'll be, you know, whether you understand it or not because it's too early or too whatever, that's a big game, um, not only in the opponent, but the fact that you're on main ESPN at 11 a.m. in week two. I mean, that's that's a game they're featuring. So, um, that's a bigger deal than 
probably given credit for because I think people wanted it to be at six or, or whatever it is that, that was wanted. But that's still good primetime real estate is what I'm trying to say. So hopefully there's a good show out for, for that one. And, and obviously it's just a huge game without even mentioning kickoff times. Uh, and then in week three, Long Island, 11 a.m., at uh, McLean Stadium, and that'll be an ESPN Plus broadcast as well. So there's your non-conference. Uh, there's the announcements, and uh, now we know uh, how to prepare and you know what to expect, at least for the first three weeks. And then after that, uh, it'll be Texas and a trip to UCF, and the you know the party will be in full effect at that point. Um, but good to get some kickoff times official. Yeah, I mean, the schools that they were competing against, like Texas at Alabama is the game that's on primetime ESPN. Like, you weren't going to get that spot over Texas and Alabama, just being realistic. And so uh, I think it's actually a pretty good spot. We've seen great showings for big noon kickoff, you know, for Fox. So I think for ESPN uh, at 11 a.m., that's pretty good. You're going to get a lot of eyeballs on that game, I think. And, uh, you know, ultimately, Baylor, like you said, needs to go out and win games because if they win games, they'll get flexed more later in the year uh, to having potentially more night games or you know, big noon type game. So I, I still think it's a pretty good spot. Um, and they got a night game to start the year against Texas State, mm-hmm. which is always nice. Um, and, you know, hey, 11 a.m. is better than 2.30 in my eyes. So uh, they avoided that at least for the first few games. Yeah, you know how it is, man. It's like uh, Oklahoma played like 50 11 a.m. games in a yeah. row or something crazy like that. If they've, you know, they've been able to handle it uh, okay, although it's like actually part of the reason why they started looking out of the Big 12. It was a major reason why they kept getting stuck with 11, but why were they at 11 a.m.? Why did they keep getting time. picked? Because people yeah. wanted to watch them at 11 a.m. That's, That's the, the whole point. Time. It's the whole point, which is, seems to get lost sometimes because it's just not what you would prefer, right. but that's... That's why Oklahoma's always 11 a.m. is because, hey, we want a big audience and a big mm-hmm. game at 11 a.m. It's so, like the SEC was always 2.30 yeah, like, it's a, instead it's a, of being at night. It's a compliment. It's not a bad thing, but I, I shouldn't have to explain that. And <laughs> and that's, um, you know, something, like I said, where you want to get the more, you know, attractive evening time games and be in the mix, be competing for titles late in the year, and all of a sudden, man, all those kickoff times will be – Right up everybody's alley. So we got that. Um, bunch more games to learn about, though, uh, as the uh, as the weeks go by. So I think that covers pretty much everything football-wise. On the basketball side of things, it's been busy. Uh, roster fluctuation has been ongoing as well. And uh, we did learn Adam Flagler officially sticking in the NBA draft. Did we know that when we recorded last week, or was that after? Because I've been lost on my days here. Yeah, um... I don't remember what day too. he did it. If, I don't remember if I we think, talked about it, I don't it, think though. we did. Okay, so Adam Flagler's officially in the draft. I mean, that wasn't unexpected. Um, you kind of thought it was it was going that way, especially the time he had been in college and just, you know, what he contributed and, and all those things. So he's official. That is, you know, something to obviously uh, now cross off the checklist as far as things you were waiting on learning about. Meanwhile, Jalen Bridges is still a – to be determined as he is debating between returning to Baylor and playing Australian professional basketball. He'd go ahead and start making some money and begin his pro career, uh, but he will not be going to the NBA. That we do know. He withdrew from the NBA draft, but could still go pro and play in the Aussie League. So that's the one key remaining question as far as returning roster members. But Flagler, again, you can cross him off. And Flagler... Well, they've already found their, you know, somewhat replacement for him. 
uh, as they added Toledo transfer Ray J. Dennis to the mix, one of the more highly coveted transfers out there. Uh, addresses the guard position, point guard, and uh, floor general type veteran guy who's played a lot of basketball games, reigning conference player of the year for Toledo as well. So a lot to digest there. Flagler out officially. Bridges, we'll see. And Ray J. Dennis, welcome to the family. Your thoughts on Baylor basketball's roster maneuvers. So obviously the first part to start with is Adam Flagler. What a career. I mean, just mm-hmm. a true gamer, a guy who, you know, came into a role on the national championship team and, you know, wasn't a starter. But when you saw him play, you're like, man, this guy, very special player, very key part of their national championship team. And then as time progressed, he became the alpha on this team. And that was great to see just so many great moments watching him play. So really happy for him. I hope he gets drafted. I hope he gets an opportunity uh, to go to a really good established franchise. That would be really nice to see. Hopefully he gets a shot. Um, As far as Jalen Bridges goes, you know, he withdrew from the NBA draft debating going and playing professionally in Australia or coming back to Baylor. That's kind of where he's at right now in the decision-making process. I'm still leaning 60-40 for him to come back to Baylor, uh, but I will admit that there is some smoke that he might you know, look to go seek that pro opportunity. So we'll see uh, kind of what comes of that. That's why Baylor is addressing that in the transfer portal, which we'll get to here in a second. Ray J. Dennis, adding him the top transfer portal prospect in my eyes, not just guard, uh, the top prospect at the time that Baylor landed him and a guy who I think probably was like top three prospect overall uh, in the transfer portal class this cycle. He's about 6'2", 185 pounds, but he has a 6'7 wingspan, was the MAC player of the year, like you mentioned, averaged 19.5 points, nearly six assists a game, and four rebounds. Really good player, showed a lot of flashes of uh, scoring. Uh, The thing that I really see from him that Baylor really hasn't had over the last couple years is his ability to get into the lane uh, is very different uh, than the other guys that Baylor's had. I would say, you know, James Akinjo was fairly good at it, but I think Dennis is going to be another level because of his size. So getting in the lane is going to be key for him and his ability to distribute the basketball is something they did not have. Uh, this past season and so he shot 36.6 percent from three didn't shoot a ton but I do think at Baylor where he's not asked to create the entire offense and where he's kind of getting a lot more you know there's not a lot of help uh, for him I think when you play Baylor when you got better athletes around you I think his shots and the quality of his shots will be a lot easier Uh, so I expect that percentage to go up a little bit as well so perfect addition great elite offensive player who's going to fit in perfectly for what Baylor's trying to do next year and then a guy who needs to get better on the defensive side but I do think with him coming to Baylor he'll get a nice opportunity to kind of prove who he is and what he can do at this next level while also just getting better and handling his business as he tries to prepare for the NBA draft in his final year. Yeah, we had Scott Drew on last week. It's interesting to just kind of catch up with him. They had announced the Sanford Pentagon game that they'll have uh, with Auburn. Uh, that'll be a great way to kick off the year. And, uh, you know, I had uh, my mom and sister actually went on this random road trip. Uh, they're currently on it, actually. They were just at Mount Rushmore like yesterday. They went cool. and visited Deadwood, South Dakota. And I ended up not going. Um just for various reasons, but I was a little jealous when I saw some of the, the pictures. But if you needed like a reason, I'm like, when am I ever going to go back to South Dakota after turning down that invite? Just the timing wasn't right, mostly uh, more than anything. 
And uh, now here's a chance, I guess. Although Rushmore's not like around the corner. It's not like everything South Dakota's right there. I think I looked it up. It's like three hours away. So you do need to still do some planning. But if you're ever like, I want to visit all 50 states. When am I ever going to go to South Dakota? Well, hey, if you're a Baylor or Auburn basketball fan, here's a great opportunity. Here's a reason to go up there and uh, check out uh, what all's going on up in South Dakota. But, uh, yeah, that'll be a a good game. They've got a, a great schedule that's built up. And uh, obviously some more to do uh, in the portal as far as filling out this roster. But uh, I need some some more questions answered first. But got a little bit more clarity last week, so that was good to see. You can tell, though, that Scott Drew's just, like, pulling his hair. I mean, he's as calm as, as anybody could be. But you can tell even it's wearing on him. Like, a guy who's pretty bulletproof is like, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. You know, yeah. like, I mean, it's it's just a, it's a circus. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that, that continues on as well. But they're handling it. Uh, pretty pretty okay from what we've seen so far. Definitely. So I think we should also dive in a little bit to kind of what's going on as far as who could they get if they don't bring back Jalen Bridges okay. or who else is kind of on the radar. So Grant Nelson, uh, the North Dakota State uh, prospect, he's like a 6'11 forward type, uh, really good player, but he actually, uh, his visit got canceled to Baylor. It was supposed to be this weekend. Um, he's going to kind of be between Alabama and Arkansas to be, again, providing clarity. This was a Baylor decision, it seems like, more so than a Grant Nelson decision. Um, but yeah, he'll be between those two schools, but this comes on the heels of Baylor welcoming Olivier um, Kamwa on his visit. So he visited earlier in the week. They got that visit done. Then Nelson was supposed to visit on the weekend. He did not visit, so that means it seems like all signs are pointing to Olivier Kamwa potentially being... um, I don't know, the top interest guy. It seems like he's between West Virginia and Baylor now. That's what the reports are saying. A really good prospect, great athlete, a great size at about 6'8". A guy who, he only averaged 11 points, 5 rebounds, 2 assists, and he only played 25 and a half minutes last year. Uh, but if you look at kind of some of the games where he really excelled, it was against some of their best competition. Uh, he had 27 points and 8 rebounds in a win over Texas, and then he had 27 points and 5 rebounds against Duke in the NCAA tournament. So two elite performances, and a guy who would be an awesome addition for Baylor. If they're able to land him, They're going to be really, really good next year. If they're able to land him and bring back Jalen Bridges, then I think we're talking about a top three team in the nation going into the preseason. That's uh, that's pretty big expectations. But, uh, yeah, it'll all depend on kind of how the cookie crumbles the rest of the way for them. But, um, yeah, exciting stuff and obviously a lot to still look forward to in regards to how they, they finish out the rest of this roster. So I got that upcoming. You stay close to the boards if there's... Any insight on Baylor basketball, that's the place to find it is the uh, Sikkim 365 premium section with, uh, you know, particularly Kendall and Ashley and just the rest of the crew uh, doing a great job of covering Baylor basketball. So that's where that stands. Uh, meanwhile, just track and field uh, standing at, at this point. Uh, have you been uh, much of a partaker in watching the College World Series. It's not College World Series time just yet, but you know what I mean, watching the baseball postseason. And do you feel left out, uh, especially watching, you know, uh, teams having fun and moving on? And, yeah, there's a former Baylor player who's killing it for rival TCU, uh, but not even really pointing to him as much as just every time this time of year, it's like I feel like if your team's not in it and you're a sports fan who's kind of in the College World Series, you're like, oh, man, you're like that – I, I don't know. Now, 
I was thinking about this the other day. I used to look out the window, and this is going to date me. We saw out the window longingly, my friend's playing or something. Like, man, I wish you'd be out there. And now I feel like I was looking through a window screen, and kids these days just look through phone screens, and they look at, like, Instagram like it's the window, right? Longingly at their friends having fun and, 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 and all that type of a thing. So do you watch the College World Series and, and get that kind of feeling of, like, man, it'd be really cool if Baylor was playing in this or insert team for whoever, but – yeah, it's just it seems like the funnest thing when when uh, it's going on each uh, spring. I feel really left out when I turned it on and I saw Trey Richardson yeah. put up eleven RBIs and tie Shea Langolier's record from twenty nineteen. Yeah, that made me feel very left out. It was also just tough to stomach watching him, you know, mm-hmm. just put on this performance against Arkansas that was just legendary. And then you turn around, they get through the Fayetteville Regional, and then hey, Indiana State's going to be uh, hosting them. They're going to have to go on the road again oh not so fast tcu is somehow hosting a super regional now because indiana state uh, was unable to host them so they're getting all these breaks all this luck you're seeing just kind of a lot of teams having opportunities to move forward in the college world series which is really fun to watch and yeah you know i do miss it it was really cool when baylor made those regionals a few years ago uh they didn't come through um, they had opportunities and couldn't quite capitalize on those. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing them back in having postseason success and potentially making it uh, back to a college world series at some point, hopefully with Mitch Thompson, but we'll see. It seems like they have a long way to go before we're going to be talking about that. Yeah. I mean, certainly not anywhere close based on this year. Um, but there were some strides made and there will be some Roster upheaval, I think is fair to say. I don't know. I thought Levi maybe told us there was already some guys that were in the portal, um, but I'm not sure to the extent of the, the turnover just yet, but there will be a lot of that, I would imagine, on the roster. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully you'd like to see them there, there one day, but uh, for now you got, what, Texas is in the uh, next round, Super Regionals, uh, TCU's in the Super Regionals, and that's it, right, as far as Big 12 goes. Oklahoma got knocked out. Oklahoma State got knocked out. West Virginia got knocked out. Uh, who am I missing? Texas Tech got knocked out, and that might have been it. I think it was it six teams. I think so, yeah, yeah. So you got TCU and Texas still standing as far as the super regional rounds go. And I know most they're like whatever. I don't care. But uh, yeah, it's, it was a pretty weak Big Twelve this year. I, I don't think those two teams are really going to threaten to win it. I personally, but we'll see. Yeah, Maybe. I mean, we'll, we'll see. Keep playing and keep winning. And baseball's a weird deal, man. You start yeah. to hit that stride and. You know, you can. Uh, it's not like exactly like football, like you're rolling Georgia's mm-hmm. roster out versus TCU's. You know, it's not yeah. not exactly that. That uh, you get, yeah, disparity. you get years where you see like Fresno State in the championship. Yeah, that's a lot different than TCU in the championship. You know, so yeah, there are some weird things that happen in college baseball, but I, I still just it's probably gonna be an SEC school. <laughs> yeah, I mean they they have uh, certainly embraced it the most and invested oh, yeah. the most here as of late. Uh, all right, so there you have uh, a little bit of just everything that's going on right now. Um, so a lot a lot of roster stuff uh, at the moment, and then for football too, getting guys moved in and, and workouts going, and saw the first release of like their workout, you know players of the day so to speak mm-hmm. or lifters of the day and uh, that's always a, a treat uh, although it doesn't tell us everything it gives you a loose idea of like who's really you know standing out to the coaches in the in the weight room so that's been fun to see that get started back up again uh, anything before we get into questions here 
Uh, I don't think so. I think that's pretty much the main part of it. If you want more recruiting news and things like that, be sure to check out the premium side because we have the official visitor list. I have that up uh, for the next three weekends, so a lot of prospects. I think there's like 25 names on there as far as visitors go. And then, of course, men's basketball. I mean, there's no one better than Ashley Hodge at covering the men's basketball program. You might not see it publicly posted. You might not see him being the first to post it on, you know, social media and things like that. But if you're on the premium side, you're getting information before anyone else has it. Uh, Agreed. Uh, So check that out if you haven't already uh, for Baylor fans. And we even had some non-Baylor fans in the realignment circles of the the website have come on over to to discuss realignment, all the craziness that's going on with that. So that's been uh, enjoyable and kind of funky and fun to see at times as well as that's been a uh, a kind of summer-long, spring-long storyline that feels like it's going to probably wrap up here pretty soon. Uh, just in time for football season, uh, and we can shift our focus where it needs to be. But, yeah, a lot going on, and, and if you want to talk basketball, that's a good place to go and do it. All right, uh, diving into the questions here uh, from Alpha Needle. Where does Adam Flagler rank of all-time best Baylor players in the Scott Drew era? Uh, we had Kendall on last week. I think he said number five. I mean, I'll trust him on on those rankings. Uh, certainly he or Ashley or plenty of others, more than, than my ranking matters when it comes to to where you know the basketball rankings lie, and especially Adam Flagler's place in them. So I'll default. I mean, I definitely would have said like I don't know, top five, top ten ish. Um, but he said number five, so I'll go number five. Uh, that seems like a safe bet. But you, you're you're twitching like I'm, you're like I'm, I don't I'm know about that. On it. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking on it because it's I, fine. It's it's subjective, so it doesn't matter. I think he's in the category with like Jonathan Motley. That, that's kind of the category. Remember, Motley was a consensus, you know, first-team, all-Big 12 guy. Like, he was phenomenal, a phenomenal player. I actually think he might have been a consensus first-team All-American for the in the entire nation. I think Jared Butler became um, the last since him. So, Motley, I think, might get a slight edge because of that. Um, and I have Motley kind of right around that number you know, four. Spot. So are you viewing it like individual talent and player versus like overall accolades? Because I would take a national title over uh, over an All-American. Yeah, but but see, my problem with that is, my so my number one player in Baylor history, regardless of Scott Drew or not, is Jared Butler. Jared Butler has the most accomplishments. It's not even close. Like you look at the resume, it's, it's really not close. Davion, you could argue had the best single season. Like when you watch him play, you I could wouldn't argue think of him that. as being the best Baylor player ever, though. Yeah. He's not because Butler did it for did it longer. He won the Final Four MVP and earned it. Was just unstoppable in those two games. So, but those two guys, I think, are separators, right? Davion and Jared. The, I think those two are the two best during the Scott Drew era. Then I would put Lestarius Dunn ahead of Adam Flagler personally. And then Motley, and then I think that's probably right where I would have Adam Flagler as that next guy. So, yeah, I mean, that would put him at five. I'm trying to think if there's anyone I'm missing that would challenge that, but I, I think that's right, uh, about right. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking Scott Drew era alone. Yeah. Um, I think those are the five. Say it Sam again, Jonathan uh, Motley, Adam Flagler, Jared, Jared Butler, Butler, Davion Mitchell, Lace Darius Dunn, Jonathan Motley, Adam Flagler. Sounds like me. Anybody pop out the all in y'all's mind? I mean, I don't know, like Perry Jackson or, or Perry I'm not Jones. Sure. Perry Jones. Oh, Pierre Jackson. Yeah, Pierre Jackson. Yeah, Pierre. Pierre Jackson. But he was he was one of those like empty. Just they didn't win a lot, so it felt somewhat like empty calories yeah, type that's guy. Fair. But he was. I mean, he was so fun to watch. You had Corey Jefferson, who was great. Isaiah Austin. 
You know, I'm trying to think like the guards, you know, Kenny Cherry type. Yeah, I mean, but we're they're not in that conversation. Yeah, we're, we're starting to thin it out a little right. bit because those guys were fine. But yeah, I don't know if they're they're better than the guys that were mentioned. You had the so, talent guys too, like your Perry Jones and your Quincy Miller, but those yeah. weren't guys that lived up to their potential. No, not not for a lot of the hype that you know. And I was there at the very tail end of those guys, like maybe a year crossover. But I remember hearing about just some of the hype surrounding like Perry Jones in particular, and how everybody kind of felt like, yeah, I mean, there's mm-hmm. he's a good player, but there's just a lot of hype for him right. and um, and all that. So yeah, you know, okay. So there's a couple that we're missing. So Tarian Prince is yeah. somewhere in the mix, and then the other one that's interesting, but he didn't get to prove it by himself, is Macy Oteague. Who do you put at, like, is it Macy or is it Flagler? I think it's got to be Flagler because of what he did solo. Um, but, man, that, that those were a couple other names that came to mind. Even Mark Vidal just for what he did for the program and the grit he brought to the championship team. But individually, he's a little behind those guys. But it's a battle for that five spot. Now that I think about it, I think Torian, um, Adam Flagler, and Macy Oteague all could lay claim to that number five spot. That's fair. Yep. So uh, you can make your own list at home. Uh, let us know where you had Adam Flagler, but he's definitely right there in the conversation for uh, top five. Uh, and Scott Drew era, no doubt. NBA's highly valued media rights entity. Why is there such a large discrepancy between college football and basketball regarding value of media rights? I mean, I, I think that the big thing is just it's a pro sport. I mean, isn't that the biggest reason why? Yeah, I mean, I mean that's, that's the main difference right there. The moneymaker and everything like that, it, it's more so tending towards you know the NBA and their owners and their cities and just everything like that I think is a big reason why the gap is so large. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not something I've ever looked deep into, but the pretty simple answer is that it's pro basketball. It's uh, millionaires uh, versus, you know, college kids spread out all over the country, uh, and there's just a bigger market for it. It's a cooler product. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a hip thing. It's a popular thing for, uh, you know, the ideal age bracket that advertisers are going after. Um, you know, it's, it's huge when you look at, like, men 18 to 34 and, you know, those types of metrics – uh, the NBA's got a, a pretty huge following, social media wise, got a huge following. And what is co- I mean, college basketball following? Like, it's like Ashley Hodge is like a huge college basketball yeah. fan, um, but I don't know that you know if he were to run around and talk like how many other college like like minded college basketball pure fan, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like super fans there would be. Whereas if you start talking about the NBA, like. You can, I think, easily, more easily fall into a conversation because it's just it's so much more popular. But I know it's also got its detractors like anything else. But, yeah, it's just it's a different animal is the best way to, to describe it. I also think a huge discrepancy when you're comparing college basketball and NBA is like most times the best college basketball players are there for one year. Whereas in the NBA, you're getting got I mean, LeBron's been in the league for, what, 20, 20 years? Yeah. I mean, it, it's just so different. You can't even compare it. And same with football. It's like you might see a guy in his prime for two years in college football, and then that's it. Um, whereas in the NBA, you really grow attachments to players. These players have actual brands that have been established through Nike or through Adidas or through these things that, you know, I think fans, you know, kind of just gain an attachment towards these players. And so a lot of times, you know, the more we've grown up, the more I've gotten older, I hear people talk more about like their favorite player than their favorite team uh, in the NBA specifically. And I think that's become a a very interesting thing. And it was kind of foreign to me because being a Spurs fan and they were winning, it was like, oh, 
all on all for the Spurs, but as you get older, the Spurs haven't been as good. And so I've grown to kind of appreciate players a lot uh, more so than teams such as, you know, I really like Giannis. You know, I think a lot of people gain attachments in that way that you don't get in the college game. Scotty B, uh, which two teams in the Big 12 in football do you feel are getting the most overhyped but will ultimately fail to live <laughs> up to expectations? I mean, expectations. So I guess expectations have to go with your wins odds, right, by Vegas. That has to be what we go off of because national perception, it is absolutely Texas Tech. That national, like national-wise, the feeling in the Big 12, the fact that everyone, I feel like everyone is, a lot of people are talking about Tech like they were, like, that they're going to be like TCU last year is the vibe that I'm getting. And I just, I don't see that. I don't see it at all. I don't think they're balanced enough offensively. And so while I think they'll be good and live up to the Vegas odds expectations, they'll be right around probably a, you know, maybe a 7-8 win team, which is good. That's a good year. But I don't think they're going to live up to some of the massive expectations that I've seen, uh, the overhype. So I guess they're one. Uh, I also, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think with them, it's like, do you think they can win the Big Twelve? That's that's the question. I don't. I don't think. I don't think I've seen anybody think that they can be a playoff team. But I understand that if you win the Big Twelve, then you've got an argument for the playoff. But I think like that's a conversation for farther down the road. I, I simply look at them. Are they a team that can be a contender in the Big Twelve? And I think that they probably can be, because I don't think that I'm just like, well, there's no chance they can beat Texas, and there's no chance they can beat. TCU and there's no I mean they almost beat TCU last year they did beat Texas last year they beat Oklahoma last year they won eight games um so that's where all the hype's coming from and just the fact that they hype themselves up like they they do a great job much like Matt Rule when he was at Baylor of promoting and they're out there and they're visible and they're hyping you up and they're you know like they're letting you know that there's momentum and they're following up on that and I think that's, like, right now with Baylor, you get a lot of feel of just, like, what's, like, where's the excitement? Where's the juice? Like, that's, like, a 180 in, in a way. Just kind of the way that they they um, promote, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think that they're great. There's a lot of promotion behind it. There's a lot of money flowing behind the, the product now. Like, they're, they've made it known. They are all in. Like, this mm-hmm. Joey McGuire thing, like, they are sparing no expense. They're going all in, and they're doing so at a time when – you know, there's a vacuum that's occurring at the top of the league here in the next year. And, um, you know, TCU's the same. I think everybody's trying to, to do the same. So that's where I think all of it comes from. But I haven't seen anybody going like, yeah, they're going to be 12-0 and 0 and they're going to go to the playoff. And if they have said that, then I haven't seen it because I, I just consider them a Big 12 contender. Yeah, so Brett McMurphy has them playing in the Sugar Bowl against Alabama. Uh, that's his latest prediction, which means they win the Big 12. Yeah. Um, so, or... And he didn't have a team. Like K-State last year. Right. So can they be like K-State last year? Uh, The current betting odds right now have Texas at plus 115, Oklahoma at plus 340, K-State at plus 470. So those three are the favorites to win the conference. And then the next team up is Tech at plus 1,200, then Baylor at plus 1,700, and then TCU at plus 2,000. Um, So, I mean, fourth... I mean, then it's really hard to say is anyone overhyped unless we're only talking about those three teams. But I don't think that Tech will win the Big 12 next year. Can they? Sure. So I guess, you know, they're not going to fall flat flat on their face. They're not going to go, you know, five and seven. Uh, But I don't think they're going to win the Big 12. Um, But then I guess if you're going to go for another overhyped team, then I think it has to be Oklahoma, to be honest. And it's not necessarily because I don't think they'll be better 
this year because I do. But their win odds, I think their expectation is nine and a half wins. They're the second highest odds in the conference. I just think that's a little aggressive for a team that really wasn't very good last year. And I think is more like an eight or nine win team as opposed to a 10 or 11 win team. I I think that's kind of where I come in with them. Yeah, TCU and Texas seem like they're going to be pretty good again. Um, And, you know, can TCU go all you know, to where they went last year. I mean, that would be, if they did that, then geez Louise, like Michigan's going to call Sonny Dykes. Are you surprised they're sixth in odds? Like based on just that, that seems right low there. actually. Doesn't it? Yeah. Plus 2000. They're both, they're behind Baylor and tech. Yeah. I don't quite get that. I mean, I know they're replacing a lot, but it's the portal era. And you know, I think with what they do offensively, like I was going on a thing yesterday. I was like, man, this is basically what Art Browse had constructed. It's just that Sonny Dykes is the head coach. Mm-hmm. Like this is ba- like Kindle's the OC, yeah. <laughs> causes the strength and conditioning guy. Um, you know they're running an offense that's you know very similar and familiar. And we always had the question of like, well, what would this look like if it had more talent and if it had? The- and it's like all the pieces are now in place, and it's just unfortunate it's in Fort Worth and not in Waco, right? Yeah. And so we're getting that glimpse, and now on top of that is we didn't even think about like what if it was in the portal era. So if you lose Corey Coleman, you just go get JoJo Earl out of the portal, right. and that's basically what they can do now. And they have a playoff berth behind them, plus a win. So yeah, it's it's set up to where, like as I was saying yesterday, like they could do some serious damage if they they find the right groove. So yeah, I was a little bit surprised to see them kind of in the middle of the pack because I feel like Max Duggan was great, and they won a lot of close games, a but, lot. Yeah, they and that's that's the one thing that makes me like pause on them being better, um, yeah, or like really good is just that like they they won a lot of close games, like they could have easily have lost four or five games last year, Easy. so that you know that that's part of the deal there. But yeah, I mean, I think that they're the kind of program now where with what they do offensively, and you have the portal and all of that, and Dykes is a great mind, like they can just kind of plug and play some guys, I think, um, compared to, to other programs and, and be successful doing that. Yeah, I think, I guess my concerns are similar to yours. You mentioned the close games. I yeah. also mentioned Sonny Dyke's track record. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to diminish what they did last year, but outside of last year, it feels like a an anomaly. Like, he really hasn't been that impressive as a head coach. I will say, and I agree with you, but the, what if it's like, but now he's where he's supposed to be. And, That's, and yeah. very possible. Because like, Cal's another thing, right. you know what I mean? And at SMU, yeah. he showed signs, obviously, they were good. Of, yeah, of being sure. strong there. And then we'll the other see. question is Garrett Riley effect. How big right. really was that? So, uh, you know, quarterback position will be another thing, but you're exactly right. I mean, sixth best odds in the conference. That That's quite the push down but i will say after them it all falls off a cliff like, yeah there's not really anybody yeah. else to overhype uh, i'd say oklahoma like behind Texas or right there with texas tech i mean yeah tech maybe slightly uh oklahoma would be your other choice um and that's you know eye of the beholder again like i saw them at nine and a half or whatever i'm like dang uh but they have a really easy schedule look at their mm-hmm. schedule that's the thing and that's probably as much of a reason why they're they're listed with so many high wins and you know what maybe Brent Venables gets it going in year number two we have no idea really unknown completely yeah we have absolutely no idea what that's gonna end up looking like so appreciate that question Uh, big cheese 83 I may be overreacting please tell me if I am but it seems like a noticeably large amount of the pretty highly ranked football recruits Baylor's in on are all from Arizona California Utah or some other state While I do understand our staff has connections that can help them pull talent out of certain regions, does it feel to you like we aren't doing as well with in-state recruiting as we can? Um, I think that's – 
you know, maybe one way of putting it. I mean, if you look in their class last year, they had a lot of guys from the state of Texas. I'd have to go through and count, but the vast majority of their class was from Texas, and that's how it's always going to be. But I do think that there is something to be said for a lot of these kids outside of the state of Texas who are really intrigued by the Baylor program, maybe even more so than some of the kids in the state of Texas. And so, you know, you're going to lose a lot of battles for guys who want to go to A&M or Texas or to the bigger schools in the SEC. You're like an Ohio State will pull some, Oklahoma, of course. But um, once you get to that next level, I feel like they've done really good in the state of Texas. And then they're supplementing that by going out and trying to find really good prospects outside of the state who maybe aren't getting the kind of recognition and interest that they should from some of the high-level schools in their area, such as Sean Tompkins. He's from Georgia but didn't get a Georgia offer. He's kind of the perfect example of that, Um, just going into a state, getting a guy who fits what you're trying to do, who does have SEC offers, but he doesn't have the in-state offer, and then you're able to land him. Things like that are going to be key for this Baylor program going forward. Uh, But I can tell you their attention is still being placed on the uh, Texas recruits, and you're seeing that. You saw it in last year's class. All right. Uh, thanks, Big Cheese. J-Bear 19, besides NIL winning, what seems to be preventing football recruiting momentum? Specifically, several recruits have mentioned the vibe on campus. What do you guys make of that? I mean, I think NIL is a part of it. Winning is the biggest part. Like, you got to win football games if you want to continue to compete in recruiting with all the programs in the state because – When you don't, and then TCU goes to a college football playoff, it becomes difficult uh, to offset that uh, at times. But again, TCU is going to have to show up next year and do it again, or else their recruiting is going to go right back to even with Baylor's, which is what it really has been over the last, you know, whatever decade. It's been fairly similar. I know TCU is a little ahead of them, but I think in general, you know, those two things are the secret recipe, but I think winning is. Baylor's bigger priority because they're never going to win all these battles for NIL. That's just not going to be what they're built around. No. Um, Um, As far as, let me just mention the vibe on campus thing. Um, I think a lot of that is more so just vibes compared to other campuses who maybe have really good NIL or who are kind of a program that is you know, on the rise. So for instance, Casey Poe mentioned this to me and Casey Poe kept Texas tech in his top, you know, group of schools, which is fine. But ultimately Casey Poe is probably going to go to Georgia or Clemson or Alabama. And it won't matter that Baylor didn't technically make his final five schools because Baylor was in his top six. Um, So I think things like that are kind of what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, when he goes and visits Georgia, maybe it's a little different than Baylor right now. Like, for obvious reasons. And so I think that's kind of where you're seeing it. I think some other guys that have maybe said that maybe, um, you know, just kind of get a different feeling from other campuses. Maybe they want to go to a bigger school. Maybe they, you know, there's all kinds of factors. But what I do know is in general, you know, Baylor is usually a place where guys go to visit. And then when they visit there, they fall in love with the campus and they fall in love with the program and the culture at Baylor. We saw that in the transfer portal as every recruit who took an official visit to Baylor, who Baylor actually wanted, committed to Baylor, uh, basically within the next week after that. And then I think we're going to see that again with these official visits. I think they're going to do a really nice job of landing some guys after they take visits uh, to Baylor because of the experience and the culture and the Baylor program in general. All right, Jay Bear, hopefully that answers your question. And, yeah, winning cures a lot of things. Uh, Bears 224, we'll close it out. I've heard opinions on both sides. If Dave Aranda should be in the hot seat after this next season, if he doesn't perform up to expectations, 
What do you all think about that, and what performance do you think warrants a hot seat if you do think there is a possibility he could be after this upcoming season? So I don't know what expectations we're talking about. I mean, I guess the only ones that really matter are Mac Rhodes and Linda Livingstone's and, and, you know, those expectations, which those I don't know uh, outside of just they clearly have high expectations and they want to win and they're not just going to be content with, you know, going seven and five every year, but they're also smart enough to realize, like, there's reasons why things happen and that there are challenges that, you know, maybe he's dealing with it. Not everybody's dealing with it. Alabama or at Georgia or whatever – um, you know, I think last year was incredibly frustrating for everybody, uh, but I'm, I'm not even entertaining the thought of him being on a hot seat right now. Uh, that's where I'm at. I think that, you know, at some point it, it ma- okay. It matters what it is. What are we talking about? Are they going three and, uh, nine or are they going, you know, seven and six or are they, you know, what, what is the mark that you feel is like the expectation that if he doesn't meet it, that they that he should be on the hot seat. If they don't make a bowl game, he needs to be on the hot seat. This okay. schedule is, uh, they have eight home games. You, you can't, you can't go five and seven with eight home games. In my opinion, that that's just my perspective on it. I think there would be cause to be on the hot seat. I don't think he'd get fired at all. I, I don't see that happening. I mean, he's won a Big 12 championship. He still has shown a lot last year. You know, things kind of unraveled, but again, they lost a lot of close games. You expect that to kind of switch this year. Uh, but in my opinion, they need to make a bowl game. That's the only thing that I would say warrants him potentially being on the hot seat. Um, five and seven, not the expectation. You got to go at least six and six. The hope would be better, but to me, you can't do that unless he doesn't make a bowl. That's why I ask what the expectation is, because like you know, some people could be like, "Well, we we should win eight games every year, and if we don't mm-hmm. do that, then and there's just people looking for reasons to have him on the hot seat because they prefer somebody else too. You know, like there's definitely some of that element. Um, so yeah, but I think like making a bowl game, yeah, that should be bottom line expectation. If he doesn't do that, then sure, I welcome it. But if that's not the case, he makes a bowl game. A lot of it would depend on how did it all happen. Mm-hmm. Like, did Blake Shapen get hurt, and then? Sawyer Robertson got hurt, and R.J. Martinez is winning them like a sixth game after a four-game losing streak. Yeah. You know, like, how does it unfold? Or does every game look like the Kansas State game last year? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, like, where where are they? That's There's a lot of missing pieces there. But, yeah, I'd say not making a bowl game would warrant that. But beyond that, there's just too many variables to really have a good idea because there might be legitimate reasons why you don't win as many as you'd like to win. But regardless – yeah, making a bowl game should be the bottom line expectation. And not doing that, then, yeah, that seat starts to get warm. But um, beyond that, I have a hard time talking about him being on a on a hot seat. That's just me, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Bears, uh, hopefully that answers your question. I think, like Grayson said, eight home games, six wins is not asking too much. Uh, and, you know, you could – Easily expect to have a, a couple more than that based on that schedule as well. But that uh, that does include, like, Utah in week number two. So mm-hmm. even at home, it's going to be tough to, to win all of those games. But, yeah, bottom line expectations should be a bowl. And then let's revisit this in December and see where they are with that. And if they're at, like, five wins, then, yeah, maybe we're having some talks that we weren't expecting. Uh, but hopefully that's not the case, and I don't expect that to be the case. Appreciate the uh, question there, and I think that'll about wrap us up. Anything uh, before we head on out of here today? I don't think so. Just be sure to check out the Sikkim 365 Premium side. There's actually my interview with Mason Dossett now up on the website, um, and also just be on there because if you want the inside you know, scoop 
recruiting football, basketball, you need to be on there and check that out. And then also check out 365 Sports Radio, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6, with Craig, Paula, and Smokey. Yes, uh, getting the, the gang back together uh, has uh, been kind of stuttering vacations now, hitting that time of year. Paul will be on his honeymoon soon and, and all that stuff, so we'll be kind of in and out. But uh, we'll be in action, as Grayson mentioned, uh, starting at 3 o'clock. So appreciate it if you join us then or whatever day you end up joining us. And if not, you just listen to this show. We appreciate that as well. Please hit like and subscribe to support. Thanks to Jack and Graham and Garrett behind the scenes as well. And until next week, we'll talk to you then. This has been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com.